Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to our podcast, Life After The Letters. I'm Amelie. And I'm Suba. We're friends that met whilst working our first shifts as junior doctors. And we're here to talk about the stories and challenges that we face every day. Iwoma Ukulege is perhaps one of the most fabulous but personal junior doctors I've met. She trained in hospitals across London and clinics on Harley Street. She formally set up her own business two years ago and goes by the name Skin Doctor. She's well known for her ability to have brought a holistic and scientific approach to skincare, beauty and non-surgical enhancement. She's worked with some amazing celebrity clients and some amazing global brands such as Glossier, Beauty Stack and Bioderma. Hello, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so we're so excited to welcome Iwoma. Do you know what's funny? Today. I just realised the last time we were all together, we were actually in a woman's cute little apartment in Canary Wharf. Guys, she is fabulous. Guys, beautiful little apartment. So much Canary so Wharf. that we were doing a photo shoot in her apartment. <laughs> Feeling fabulous, weren't we, Suba? I mean, in a woman's presence, it can only rub off onto you. And I think right? we were meant to be there for two hours, but we just spent essentially the whole day. The whole day. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was. It was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> so um, I just before we started recording, we were sort of just chit-chatting and I feel like you guys have an amazing meet cute. So I met Iwoma through Amelie. And I want to hear about both of your meet cute. So yeah, it's funny because I don't think that we've actually been friends for very long. No, actually, maybe, maybe like a year. I'm not even sure if it's a year, babe. Honestly, maybe six months. I don't know. Yeah, probably up to a year, but we just don't realize. Yeah, could be, could be. But I think I slipped into your DMs, didn't I? <laughs> well, actually, before I'd slipped into your DMs, I like how she says slipped like... instead of slid. She yeah. like she just <laughs> she accidentally <laughs> fell in. Like, she, she, was just, she was just crossing by. No, literally, it was as clumsy as that. <laughs> I think I was just eyeing you from afar on the gram, on your feed, like, oh my God, this black girl's so fabulous. <laughs> this is like every millennial meet cute. No, literally. And like the way you'd be like in your spandex and in like your little like leggings. But never working like, out. Jogging and like <laughs> yoga stretches. I was like, oh my God, I feel like I need to meet her. And then I thought, let me just kind of pluck up the courage and say hi. And I did. And then the rest was history. It was. Amelie's literally blushing as we speak. But we have... I feel like I need to step out. Like... <laughs> See where you can go now. No, it was funny because we also have like good mutual friends who yeah, are also do, doing actually. very poppin' yeah, yeah. cute black girl things. Yeah. So yeah, we just met up one day, went for dinner in the cutest Japanese restaurant. Everyone knows that I love everything oh, yeah, Asian. Yeah, yeah. So it was so Koyabar, lovely. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and we just spent an evening together. So it was nice. Wow. I know. Cute. Millennial, guys. Yes. <laughs> so, Iwoma, let me ask you, you're obviously a doctor. Yeah. But can you tell us about your journey to becoming a doctor? How come you chose it in the first place? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Take us back to 16-year-old Iwoms. Oh, God. I think 16-year-old Iwoma was very unconfident, awkward, still kind of awkward, but just good <laughs> at hiding it. <laughs> um, and I think at the time, the whole kind of reason that I picked medicine was, I guess I've always been quite good at biology and always have had that obsession as well as that like kind of creative side of me mm. and then you know I wasn't kind of one of those people that always wanted to be a doctor god no like I think it was again only from about 16 17 and yeah and so my reasons were essentially my dad had a stroke recovered somewhat from that now and yeah and it just kind of gave me that kind of peep into the healthcare sector um, and I thought, wait, this is amazing in the sense of I can like tie together my love for science and also the fact that actually 
you know, I really want to make a difference in the world and become mm. like the next Mother Teresa, you know. So, um, so yeah, humble that's, goals. That, I like yeah, it. Yeah, that was my reason. <laughs> and at that time, so you'd picked your subject. Uh, yeah, so I'd picked my subjects in mind of wanting to do medicine. Yeah, mm. so I did biology to A two. And then I did chemistry to A2, reluctantly. Um, and then I did art just to AS level. Loved art, really didn't want to drop it. But I yeah. love how everyone has that extra subject. Yeah. It just shows you who they are inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then maths, which again, I had to take to A2. And literally my ceiling of knowledge for maths was just AS level. Yeah. After that, I just had no clue what was Bad. going on. <laughs> literally no clue. Until you have to account for yourself now. Well, <laughs> yeah. Exile come through. Yeah. So you went to Liverpool, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then obviously now you're doing a lot of work in aesthetic medicine mm-hmm. and skincare and beauty. Mm-hmm. Throughout your time in medical school, were you doing anything like that at all? Or how did you start to come into your interests? More? No, I wasn't doing anything apart from medicine. Um, I don't think I was even reading a non-medical book during medical school, actually. Mm which shows you how like engrossed I was with it. Um, Any societies? Come on, you must have done something. Uh, maybe like in first year, you know, where you kind of have to, and, you know, just to look sociable and whatnot. When you sign up to, <laughs> you sign up to 20 at Freshers Fair for the freebies and you're like, I think yeah, I've got to take exactly. these one. Made a brief appearance at the ACS Society. <laughs> um, and it was like, bye again. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was um, me too. Not 100% my vibe. Can't really remember. I can't even believe it was like eight years ago now. So yeah, that's, yeah. Ma- that's actually Matt. It's like a long time ago. Guys, yeah. we're getting older. Please, so let's old. stop using that word. <laughs> My ovaries are ticking, literally. <laughs> I'm so old. And can I ask you, in your time in medical school, yeah. were there any doctors that you particularly like looked up to or mm. anybody, I suppose, that you were like, do you know what? I want my career to model there somewhat. Yeah, like inspirational sort of doctors you can That's across. a really good question. But just kind of probably any kind of black female doctor of a fairly senior position, I was like, oh my God, I want to be like her. Mm-hmm. But also eight years ago, we didn't really have those kind of celebrity doctors no. as we do now, if you know mm. what I mean. Yeah. It was just kind of the ones that you saw on the TV and they were pretty dry, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, so I'd just say kind of any kind of ethnic or black kind of female doctor killing it, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I suppose that just gives a nod to you wanting to see yourself in those higher positions. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And doing... Just making your own mark 100%. and being I think, successful. I think people really underestimate the power of that. Absolutely. Because um, especially with my kind of background, i.e. growing up in East London, none of my family being medics at all, it was just nice to have that kind of little bit of reassurance that, yeah, actually I do belong here. And Absolutely. It's about like some seeing someone that can validate your aspirations. Yeah, definitely. And definitely. I relate with you because I'm from a working class background and like not from a medical background at all. And how you can have that sort of imposter syndrome and it's Literally. which we have already, I think, as women of colour, but particularly yeah. as like women of colour, I think yeah, from yeah. like a, a background completely different to your your but, profession. But you know what? I don't think because I'm sure a lot of people like, well, this imposter syndrome, it's just in your head. But actually I think with the experiences that we you know, during medical school that we have, you know, whether it be on our, you know, clinical rotations or whatever, you're kind of made to feel like a little bit of an imposter. So mm-hmm. a great example of that is, you know, even if you, you know, you're dressed in a very clinical outfit, you know, you look smart or you're in scrubs or something, you know, someone would just assume that you're a nurse. Not that there's anything wrong mm-hmm. with being a nurse. Or, you know, frequently, even now actually, I've been called nurse, HCA receptionist yeah anything but doctor and you're you could be taking blood from someone or you can be taking a full history and someone still thinks you're a receptionist it actually makes zero sense i'm sorry you can introduce yourself as the doctor and at the end someone will still be like thank you nurse (laughs) exactly i'm sorry did i do stupid did i miss did i miss something here did (laughs) i say nurse and what makes it worse is that i literally have the sesco around my neck yeah. And I am not dressed like the nurses. <laughs> and we've got I these really big badges it. that say, hello, my name is Doctor. Well, to yeah. be fair, I kind of hide those because my <laughs> pictures always look awful. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just... So, yeah, so I think that yeah. imposter syndrome is quite valid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, okay, so med school, you were kind of like just getting on with it, focusing on the end goal. Did you enjoy to... med school? Ooh, um, the hard-hitting question. <laughs> Um, it was a great learning experience. <laughs> to be fair, when you start a sentence like that, you know, basically the answer is no. There's a big um, but. No, it was a great learning experience. I think that great learning experience was enhanced by actually not being in London. But in terms of socially, 
as the years kind of went on, no, not really, because I just miss London so much. And I, what, like, Liverpool's like, a, what, 200 miles away from London. I just felt so far apart from my friends back in London and my family. Mm. And actually, with every year, I was like, I can't stand this. I just want to go back home. Mm. But overall, it was, an, it was an, yeah, okay experience, for sure. Met really good people, a few of which I'm still friends with. Um, yeah, that Hi. sounds really unimpressive. No, it? no. So, is that, <laughs> so when you were choosing your foundation jobs, yeah. was it a big thing for you to come back to London and to kind of... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Get definitely. back with your sort of, your your kind of comfort zone and your safety net of yeah, like yeah, people 100%. that you know and you need around you. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, so how did was. you find it then? So the transition from med school to F1? I think I found it quite difficult, actually. Um, I would say I'm quite a strong person anyway, but it really did push me to my limit. And I didn't realise, you know, only when I started, you know, I didn't realise how difficult it would be. And I think with the hospitals that I worked in, literally it was like a baptism of fire from day one, mm. like put in really tough, compromising positions, to be honest. Mm. Um, and yeah, and literally as the months went by in F1, more and more I was like, I hate this. <laughs> and just felt really, really trapped. Yeah. And I think even in one of our earlier episodes, Super and I, we talk about, the lack of support sometimes that mm. juniors can feel. And Definitely. It's, and it's so, it can be so dependent on the team that you work with. Yeah. And mm -hmm. actually, even within the same hospital, people on a general surgical job might find it a lot more difficult than someone on a general medical job, mm -hmm. just because you don't have the senior support yeah, yeah. there all the time, just from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And really, your beginning experience can really shape and form the way that you go and proceed. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's actually pretty amazing what you've been able to build over the past two years, Aroma. Thanks, can you tell us when you started <laughs> thinking about Skin Doctor? Tell us about Skin Doctor and yeah. what's been going on with that. Um, so in terms of how Skin Doctor started, um, long story short, I think it just essentially was birthed from my crazy frustration as of being an F1, being damn right miserable, like mm. clinically miserable and anxious. Um, and then also in the background, having a lot of personal issues going on. So a really close loved one fell ill, kind of like when did that start? So in the middle of medical school, and I was still dealing with that in F1. Mm. And it just got a lot. And it was just literally like I was fighting fires from all corners of my life. Mm. And I got to the point towards the end of F1, I was essentially burnt out. Didn't really care about anything. Um, and I feel like when that happens, it's kind of time to rethink things. Yeah. Um, and I just almost didn't see a way out. I didn't see how, you know, I didn't feel like it was just the, you know, a bump in the road or, you know, just, you know, pull through it and it will be fine. It, it wasn't like that. I was just really inwardly so unhappy. Um, and I remember I had an awful weekend on call where like I was literally being harassed by site managers and like ward sisters for the most ridiculous of things. Mm. Um, and I remember coming back home, literally crying on the bed, uh, bathroom floor, <laughs> laughing about it now, but um, yeah, but I was like, you know, crying on the bathroom floor, really unhappy. And then after that, I was just literally, you know, uh, rejigging my CV and mm. looking at corporate jobs that I could apply to. <laughs> like, I was literally ready to leave. Yeah. Um, and then when I thought about it, I was like, wait, actually, I've studied for five years. I've got this experience, albeit limited. Mm. And I was like, should, should I really just throw it away and go to a corporate job? Um and I thought maybe by going into a corporate job, it'd probably be the same poop, different smell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> same poop, different smell. I like how she used the word poop because that's not the word she's going to use. Yeah, so I thought, okay, maybe not. And then kind of what I then decided to do was just to kind of go on a kind of journey of soul searching and going to kind of different events for medics. Because at the time there was like a real boom of like little events and organization where organizations where um they'd essentially have talks about medics diversifying yeah. different avenues that you can go into um so i went to lots of that really eye-opening you know had the chance to network with a lot of cool people about what they were doing and it just kind of gave me that vision and also just encouragement and hope about yeah. the future mm -hmm. um, and i remember hearing a talk about um, aesthetic medicine and I was like, oh, my God, this da, da, be da. perfect. <laughs> it was like a light bulb moment. I was the like, penny wow. Drops. I was like, oh, my God, I'm naturally creative. Mm -hmm. And I felt 
and the thing was I felt super frustrated in in F1 yeah not being able to release that creativity yeah so aesthetic medicine was the perfect blend of that and also still upkeeping my medical skills mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah so I kind of found out a bit more about the sector so literally like googling all that kind of jazz um and then yeah, and then went on like training courses or a training course. So when was the first training course? During your F1 or F2 or what time? It was during my, I think during the beginning of my F2. Okay. Because the thing is, things got so bad in terms of like training. I essentially quit training after a year and four months. Mm. Everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> of course they did. Um, but I, I don't know, I just felt so confident in that decision and so at peace because essentially what I was trying to put forward was... Or, you know, put to the forefront of my life was one, am I happy? Mm. And two, am I mentally healthy? Mm-hmm. And I thought, actually, going forward, I'm going to base my life decisions on those two things. Mm. And if they're not satisfied, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Like, I'm just not doing it. Um, so it's almost like a mean of survival. Yeah, you. basically. Yeah. For the first time in like at least six years, I put myself first. Mm. Um, and yeah, so so between, you know, after those, the year and four months, I was essentially just locoming my way through to F2 and got my competencies that way. And during that period of locoming, that's when I did the course. Because oh, okay. obviously through, you know, my locum pay, that was then able for me, that, you know, allowed me to fund... Um, the training courses. <laughs> That's another problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and then did it that way. Um, and then at the same time, obviously, you know, you can go kind of one of two ways when you start aesthetic medicine. So do you, you know, try and find a job? I feel like that's just kind of like the the mainstay, not the mainstay, but just as medics, what we typically try and do first, mm. i.e. find a job, because yeah. that's just what we're conditioned to do. Yeah. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> and I did, you know, I looked at, like, jobs online, and actually they all wanted, you know, doctors that had two years' experience in aesthetics, which I didn't have. So then I thought, well, <laughs> you screw you, like, you then. <laughs> so I was like, screw you then, let me just set up something of my own, which I did. Mm. Uh, it was really slow at first, um, so I was working out... out so of- can we just... Sorry. Pause here for a second. <laughs> yeah. So what is Skin Doctor? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. What um, does that look like? So Skin Doctor is essentially, I'm going to make it sound really boring now, but it's essentially, you know, service-based company where I offer uh, skincare treatments and non-invasive surgical treatments as well. So, you know, examples of that are everything from, you know, your at-home medical grade skincare uh, products mm-hmm. to, you know, um, doing Botox fillers, um, all that kind of stuff. Sweet. Yeah. And when you um, so had your vision, mm-hmm. the skin doctor, mm-hmm. did you, was it something that evolved with time? When you first started it, what was your vision for it and how has that changed now? Um, I feel like to a degree it has evolved with time, but I think the basis of skin doctor has, is still pretty the same. Mm. So what I found with a lot of uh, doctors and clinics at the time in aesthetics was that they're really, they were just really stuffy, all based on Harley Street, you know, they were run by like fat middle-aged men that had no clue about the difference between highlight and contour. <laughs> and yeah, I just wouldn't trust them with my face. They just didn't yeah. talk to me. So I essentially wanted to bring my own flavor to the industry and kind of be like, you know, your best friend, but who's like a doctor mm. and yeah, and have that kind of approach to it. Yeah. And also make the experience a lot less intimidating mm-hmm. um, and not overly clinical and overly medical as well. Because although, yes, that's the language that we speak in, consumers don't speak in that language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even as a beauty lover myself, I don't speak in that language. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was just essentially bringing it to that level. Um, yeah. And you're so right when you say that it's when when you think about it, it seems so it feels so clinical, like you go to this you know, all white clinic in Harley Street and you have this sort of doctor come in, like draw lines on you or something. That's so what you imagine. Boring. When actually it should just be like... So dry. It's like... Someone who understands it. Like, yeah, exactly. From a, in a someone that way. gets it. Like yeah. essentially someone of that Instagram generation. Yeah, exactly. I want to go to someone who, if I say, I want that like Rihanna Cupid bow lip situation exactly. going on. They know. I like, want them to know it from their head yeah, exactly. rather than having to yeah. Google. Yeah. to google it exactly yeah. so and just, like measure the proportions or something like you want someone that can say that but also somebody can turn around and be like i know you want rihanna but like 
But if you don't look like Rihanna. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> but babe, what about, you know what I mean? Like, change it up a bit. And you're like, Unless okay, I've got a magic wand, which to a degree I do, but, you know. <laughs> That's a wrench. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and like, as Amelie was saying, it's just someone who naturally knows those cultural references. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, last week or even earlier this week, I had a client that was like, I want Georgia Smith lips. And I was like, yeah. I didn't Ooh, even I know to, what that is. Yeah, yeah I didn't even have yeah. to look at her. She's you know, beautiful, beautiful first of all. Oh, my God. I'm I, I now want Georgia Smith lips. <laughs> Damn. Yes. Um, yeah and I just knew and it's even to the point like you know when I'm with my clients like I play like instead of playing like relaxing music or like you know clinic music like I literally play stuff like the internet like <laughs> you know I love that just yeah just a really chill nice vibe and I, I love your setup as well. So we had the pleasure of seeing a woman's setup and she had this incredible chair. You have so the she's chair. changed. Yeah. She's, she's moved house actually. Yeah. But let's talk about her initial beautiful setup in Canary Wharf. Yes. Yeah. So it was this gorgeous, like, you know, dockside, like high rise mm. apartment, glass everywhere, this gorgeous white chair. You look out, you see the lights of Canary Wharf. The yeah. glimmering awesome lights, like that flashing light from the HSBC tower, <laughs> like shining down on your mm. face. And you're like laying in this white chair with the internet in the background. <laughs> it was gorgeous. And this big cactus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was giving me life. She had plants, she had green, but everything also was white and beautiful at the same time. So it was a gorgeous apartment, wasn't it, Super? It was, and it was very you, like, it's not even just like, I come to this clinical environment. It's like, welcome to like my space. And she gives you a little, like a big glass with a drink in it. It's just gorgeous, it was amazing. And the funny thing is, is that I actually did it on purpose. So like, you know, as we're saying, initially I worked out of my apartment in Canary Wharf. And I could have just kind of hired out, you know, a clinical mm-hmm. space to work from. But obviously, one, because it was easier. But also, <laughs> two, it just created that kind of intimate vibe that mm, yeah. you're going to your best friend's house. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and just, again, as I was saying before, made the situation less intimidating. Yeah. Um, and that's really what I wanted. So, yeah. It was an atmosphere. It was professional, but it was comfortable. Yeah. And that's the. it was like the perfect balance of the two. It wasn't like you know, some dodgy back room. Like Coming for it's a sleepover, yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh yeah, dodgy back room, you know. It was this gorgeous, yeah. like professional chic kind of vibe. Very, like just, I think you really nailed that kind of concept. And I think it really fits your whole brand. Like, yeah. thank you. So, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. So I wanted to talk about brand, but mm. before I get there, clearly when you walk into your space and into your apartment and mm-hmm. also, also look at your Instagram feed, you clearly seem as though someone who's able to delve into self-care you always had these beautiful candles guys this morning i looked at instagram she had just gone <laughs> on a walk in primrose hill like this is no lie this is a woman so how did you like build self-care into your life Com- particularly after the period of time when you were just feeling in your own words mm-hmm, miserable mm-hmm. how did you build that into your life um is it been was it instantaneous was it a process it was a process because i i got to the point where i was forced to look after myself because yeah. As I said, I was just so burnt out that, you know, even the thought of, you know, going to the ward for another day just literally sent dread into me. So I had to, I basically had to give myself a little mini intervention. Um, So I remember taking like, you know, two weeks off and just, you know, looking after myself, literally spending most days in bed, (laughs) Um, watching Netflix, that kind of thing. Um, And and throughout those two weeks, I just kind of had a realisation that actually... I can't live life constantly driving myself into the ground Mm. and especially driving myself into the ground for something I don't believe in and something that doesn't make me feel passionate. Mm. Um, Because during that time and throughout F1, as I was dealing with a lot of my personal stuff, I just thought life is crazy short. Um, Mm. So, so short. And I thought even trying to, you know, grin and bear it and, and, you know, stay another, you know, six months or whatever through, you know, F2. I was like, wait, no, I can't do that. Like, mm. I can't even have another six months where I'm crazy unhappy yeah. because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow to me. Mm. Um, and that was the major realisation. Um, and, and yeah, and where possible now anyway, I definitely do try to kind of implement kind of self-care strategies. Mm-hmm. So what I did this year is I went away quite a few times. <laughs> so Yeah, we've all, we've all seen, we've all been there. <laughs> um, so for my birthday, I like, went to Bali. It was literally like a honeymoon holiday for myself. 
flew all the way out to Bali, stayed there for like a week or so. Um, and then after that, I went to, a few months later, I went to New York. Essentially, it was mainly for like an aesthetic conference, but I decided to make it into a long holiday as well. Why not? Which was amazing and so eye-opening. And then I went to Nigeria like a month or so ago. Um, so yeah, so I've traveled a lot this year, had so many amazing experiences since I've left training or since I left training formally. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically I'm just a lot happier and I'm excited about the future. And I didn't feel that when I was in training. Yeah. And can I ask you, you said you went to the aesthetic aesthetic conference mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah. What did you learn about their scene in New York um, compared to the UK scene? Can you tell us a little bit more about yeah, the insights sure. there? So I feel like in America, um, they're, they're miles ahead in the aesthetic industry. They're a lot more experimental. Um, things aren't so rigid as they are here. Um, and yeah, and their approach is a lot more creative. You know, they were at the conference, they were talking about things like uh, vaginal rejuvenation, which you do get here. Um, sorry for the example, but yeah, <laughs> vaginal rejuvenation. It is a it. thing, it is a thing. Um, you know, if you want to improve that G-spot, O-spot, hey. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and they were talking about things like that, you know, really creative techniques, mm-hmm. um, you know, that I hadn't heard about over here. Um, yeah, it was really eye-opening. That's cool, that's cool. Um, how long was the conference for? It was just a day. Okay. Yeah, okay. like literally the whole day. Um, but also I was able to network with with other, you know, mm. injectors across America because they weren't just all from New York, all across America. And just the way that they use, you know, the way that they use products, which products in particular they use, um, and just kind of use those kind of tips and gems um, and implement that into my own practice, mm-hmm. basically. Mm. And obviously... This week, there's been the news about be- beauticians been taken off mm-hmm. a register to do with injectables. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, or yeah, just yeah. tell no, no, our no, audience right. a little yeah. bit about that. So I 100% fully support that decision. No, no, no. Sorry, beauticians. Pause, hold on. <laughs> Before women get excited here, can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like and why it happened? Um, so yeah, so I think it was the Joint Council of, I think, Cosmetic Practitioners or something of that yeah, nature. Yeah. I should probably know this, but... Um, they essentially decided that going forward, uh, beauticians wouldn't be a part of the list of people that would be allowed to inject. Um, so in terms of now the people that will be allowed to inject, you know, obviously doctors, dentists, paramedics, pharmacists who can prescribe, prescribing nurses, actually even non-prescribing nurses, um, depending on what they're administering. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I fully support the decision. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really shocked that it hasn't come any earlier because a lot of countries you know, have already done that. Um, and it's just not safe for beauticians to be injecting people. I know, yes, you do got you do have a lot of, you know, beauticians that you could say are, are good and give a good result, but it's really not safe because if you don't know what you're doing and if you don't have that clinical expertise and knowledge about things like anatomy, you can do a lot of damage with that needle. <laughs> very easily and do you think that contributes to sometimes a lot of the fear-mongering surrounding um injectables and things yeah like that? definitely because there's a lot of cowboys see, out there you always see the horror stories of people that have yeah, yeah definitely you know, gotten definitely. horrible infections and definitely like definitely because the thing is let's not get it twisted even the most experienced injector you know you just need to inject enough people and you will yeah have some of those complications oh, with things course, like 100%. the process and whatnot but as a clinician you'll be able to, one, identify symptoms of such complications early and then know how, how to deal with it. Yeah, and you um, can personally manage those rather exactly, than, say, exactly. someone who might then have to go and see their GP mm-hmm. about, you know, some dodgy injection. Exactly, and the GP will probably have no clue whatsoever what to do. I was just about, I was just about to say that. If yeah. someone came up to me and was like, okay, so I've got this dodgy lip and I think it's yeah. necrotic, I'll be like, hmm, so I think you'll know more about it than yeah. I do. Yeah. Or I'm just going to have to, like send you over to my Instagram friend, Skin Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like, I imagine it's so much nicer to like, just be able to text the person that's been doing your injections, send them a photo and be like, oh, is this okay? What's going on? And yeah, then be like, exactly. pop over, let me have a look. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah, because interestingly, I know a lot of uh, clinicians within aesthetics actually don't like giving uh, clients their personal number. Yeah. They, they just don't see the necessity. They'd prefer to just say, give the client their office number and then mm. almost the receptionist at their office or clinic acts as the first line of defense so to speak first line of defense. um but, but that also might change for you you never maybe. know yeah never i'll know. never say never but mm. right now and i think for as long as possible i want to have i want to have where 
you know, my clients have, you know, you know, I'm just a phone call away from my clients because again, that's whole, that's a part of the whole skin doctor experience. Yeah. The personal relationship. Yeah, exactly. Which I want to ask. So we spoke about Canary Wharf and we spoke about your sort of setup there. And there was something about Primrose Hill. So <laughs> Siva wants to know. When Siva's did you become a North nosy. London gal? Like what happened? Um, as of about what's your setup three now? weeks ago now. Yeah, yeah. So I've moved to like Marlebone. Uh, I've actually down hey. the street adjacent as you do. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I've moved to Marlebone, but I've actually downsized and that was a conscious decision. Um, and my whole kind of reasoning behind that was actually if I move more central closer to just where the action is mm -hmm. it would kind of act as a way of forcing me to commit to doing skin doctor full-time because mm -hmm. that's another thing actually a lot of people don't realize that I don't do skin doctor full-time mm -hmm. I actually mm -hmm. do still do locoming on the side um yeah so so yeah so that was why I moved more central um and in terms of my clinic setup now um I essentially work from um a clinic space on South Morton Street near Bond Street oh, station okay. um I've been there for a while now actually but um but yeah I work from there um and I could literally like walk to that clinic It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Space from where I live, so it's just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever you think of like Molten Street, you always think of like skincare and also like good yeah. coffee and like yeah. flowers I just yeah. think of the most beautiful things all the beautiful actually the things in life luxurious things and I think when you think when you see Skin Doctor and the brand it's definitely a beautiful aesthetic yeah so how have you like developed that and did you have to learn about branding can you tell us yeah. what your vision was initially with the brand um so my initial vision with Skin Doctor was just essentially what I like <laughs> Does that sound really selfish? <laughs> um, but I just thought, actually, the easiest way and the most genuine way to put out a brand is to just make it, you Authentic. know, an extension of yourself. Mm, yeah. And what you like and the colours that you like and the natural aesthetic that you like and just build on that. Yeah. So that was that kind of basis. So in terms of the kind of, uh, kind of interests or aesthetics that I like, I was always really drawn to, like, um, you know, those Scandinavian fashion blogs yeah. and, like, you know, websites and and whatnot like into the glass, glossier, yeah, um, like really clean, really yeah, sharp. violet grey, all of that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and yeah, and I took those kind of websites and and outlets as my inspiration. Um, and then interestingly, in terms of the actual graphics of Skin Doctor, I actually did that all myself. Okay, um, use that art. A-level. Well, yeah. And actually, I, I taught myself how to use Photoshop when I was a teenager. Really weird. But <laughs> but that shows you as a teenager, I didn't really leave the house much. So I was able to teach <laughs> Come myself on, guys, Photoshop. we had to have a popping MSN photo. Exactly. <laughs> like, Do you know what's funny? I used, like, as a teenager, I yeah. always learned how to use Photoshop. Yeah, and too. also, I used to spend my time on The Sims. Like, yeah. the things I used to do was so bizarre <laughs> and such a waste of time. But I'd be in the house, like, on my on the internet. Yeah. And, and do you know what was so funny? Because one of the reasons that I'd learned to use Photoshop, mm. that was kind of one of my my early businesses <laughs> when I was a teenager. So she's been a businesswoman for a day. <laughs> no, it's funny. Actually, I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, oh mm -hmm. my God, I've actually had this kind of business flair for a while. 
So I remember when I was in secondary school, sorry, mm. really going off on a tangent now, but when I was in secondary school, I basically had this uh, poster business. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so at the time, like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo was on the scene and like, you know, all of those football heartthrobs. And I'd essentially like <laughs> cut out posters from like football magazines and then also like print pictures of these footballers on my really yeah. high def printer, which now like looking back really wasn't high def. <laughs> but like um, print those out and essentially like sell them for like a pound. No way. Yeah. Did you make money? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm still confused as to what the selling. Wait, so just posters of footballers? Yeah. So and people like hearts of footballers. Come on, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd actually buy it. See, but if I think about your wall at home, you have so much stuff stuck up on your bedroom wall. They know what? I thought it was going to be like you Photoshop a person. No. Like I would be like, can you and please put me next to Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> no, no, not only that. Photoshop and me hugging Cristiano so, Ronaldo. So, so the Photoshop thing comes in later. And then my other business that I did, like, well, mini business, like a few years later was I essentially like made MSN profile pictures and wallpapers yes. of like... Um, whatever like people wanted so whether it be a wallpaper of say your favourite band or mm. like your favourite celebrity and just like make really cool wallpapers like that <laughs> and I'd literally like have people in that's the dope, States that's dope. be like oh my god can you make me like a wallpaper or a, or a DP picture with the strokes in it no and, way yeah <laughs> and like I don't know they'd that's actually pretty dollars. wild I love that yeah it was so weird I feel I like this, this actually requires quite a lot of skill like it's of quite, course I'm it impressed. does if you think about all business business is the same if you can create a niche yeah. that you can provide easily and quickly yourself yeah. and something that you enjoy doing and pe- people will pay winner. for it. Yeah. You're on to a winner. And it's, that's exactly what you're doing now. So but in a, on a massive like a, scale. Yeah, yeah. Bigger yeah. scale. <laughs> Much bigger scale than little papers <laughs> and profile pictures. But, but yeah, so... Yeah. So coming back to the whole branding side of things, mm. and I know you touched on how um, being in your foundation years, like it wasn't feeding your soul. It wasn't. It wasn't it was killing be, myself, babe. Yeah, it was like draining you. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like feeding you. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, you put that at the priority of your like your mission in life was be happy, look after your mental health. And yeah. that's guided you along this path. Um, obviously there's pros and cons to say being in a straightforward training program. You don't, in a lot of ways, you don't have to think about a lot of things. You just get on the conveyor belt and you just keep on going. Um, and like you said, that's not for everybody. On the flip side, obviously when you're being so self-directed with things, you've got to be so self-motivated. You do. Because you you've do. got to get up and get on with it. No one's waiting for you. you no do. one's going to tell you to do it. Mm-hmm. And has that posed its own challenges and or has that come very naturally to you? Generally, no, it hasn't posed any challenges. And yes, it has come naturally to me because, you know, from the beginning, I've been always very strong-willed. And as a kid, it was it kind of manifested itself as being stubborn. Well, that's what people would always say to me. You're so stubborn. And like, you know, I'd never really follow the rules growing up. I was actually quite a naughty child in primary school to the point I think I got, I, like I had to move classes. Like oh who gets gosh. moved classes in primary school? Really? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say. Like, that's intense. That's absolute intense. terror. Yeah. Absolute terror. Those were the bad kids. <laughs> yeah. No, but what it was, I think, was that I'd, you know, from a family of four, I was the youngest of the four and... My siblings are way older than me. Mm. So when I was a kid, they were like, you know, in their mid to late teens. Wow. So from the beginning, I was constantly trying to like act up and I just felt like I was an adult. Yeah. Not in a cocky way, but it's just that's what I was used to. Um, So that's one thing. So I think my personality has always been like that. Mm -hmm. And then two, also my parents, especially my mum. Oh, my God. Like (laughs) the stories that women tells about her mum are literally (laughs) the funniest stories. I feel like we could do a movie about your no, mum and just have the best sound bites it's from gonna her. It's going to happen. <laughs> um, and she's just such a confident person. Like this kind of unwavering confidence. Yeah. And she definitely instilled that by me, in me, I should say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you just couldn't be her child and be unconfident. It just, it just wasn't possible in her house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so moving back to present day and how that's kind of been a part of my business... For sure, being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. Yeah. And I think because being an entrepreneur's, entrepreneur sorry, is quite sexy and, mm. you know, it's on the gram, you know, on everyone's, you know, bio, it's like, yeah, entrepreneur. It's like, oh, babes, chill. 
Like yeah. anyone can set up no a, nine to five. Do you know what I mean? Anyone <laughs> can set up a company on Company House. It takes like five minutes. Chill. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, being an entrepreneur, it very much is self-directed. You need to be motivated. Um, you know, not you know, someone's not going to tell you what you need to do day to day. Um, and that is a con for some, but actually, I love it. Yeah, it sounds like and it's I feel like so that's naturally. where I thrive the most. Yeah. So where have you learned? Um, sorry. So you you clearly went to a conference when you were in second year, and that's mm. when aesthetic medicine was mm, like, mm, mm, ooh, mm, mm, mm. this might be something I'm interested yeah. in. How did you learn to develop your business? Because obviously, business isn't just easy, mm-hmm. and though it comes naturally to you, I'm sure there's things that you've learned along the way. Where have you gained all your skills and your know-how from? Um, so various sources. Um, the actual workings of a business, to a degree, have not come naturally to me at all. Because obviously I'm coming from that world of medicine and mm. now transitioning to business. Very different worlds. Um, but what I would say is, first of all, just building relationships with people. And I, and I use that word especially as opposed to networking, because mm-hmm. that just sounds really stale and just fake. Um, but building meaningful relationships with people within the industries that you you mm. want to you want to be in, and even just relationships with people that aren't necessarily in the mm. industry that you're in, um, because they're super inspirational. And I just have the mindset where actually I can learn anything, not anything, but I can learn something from anyone. Um, and so yeah, so I would say building meaningful relationships um, to YouTube. There's like a YouTube video on everything now, yeah, how literally. to set up a business. And there's a book on everything. How to market, exactly yeah. how to brand. Um, podcasts is another major thing. So I love people like Gary Vee. Yeah. Obsessed. <laughs> literally obsessed. Um, I, can I just say, I remember yeah. watching Gary Vee. I think it was like on The Breakfast Club. Yeah. That was the first time I was introduced to him, like a couple of years back. And I remember I was like, oh, Very I really want to set up a business, really want to set up a business. <laughs> and then he was like, he must have said something. So Gary V, like, what's the point of thinking about it? Just go out and do it. Otherwise, who even are you? Just stay in your bed. You're just gonna join your nine to five and get twenty no, k a year. That. Why not? I just go it. out, do your business, and get I your hundred k like real I quick. Love it. Yeah. So I was like, you know, when you're like, why am I just thinking about it? It's Let me go simple. out and do it. I remember simple. that day. I think I signed up for a competition to like set up a business, to get uh, like a business package, and I actually won it. And I was like, whoa. Thanks, Gary V. And it just kind of shifted my mindset. But it's things like that that you need, don't you? Yeah. For me, it's all about the mindset. And again, during my rough patch of training, that's what I realized. It's all about the mindset. And I think actually people need to work on that more. And whether that means going on, you know, a few months, weeks, whatever of self-discovery, that's what you need to do. Mm. Because I felt like once I developed my mindset, then I was truly able to believe that anything's possible. And actually, it's just your mind that puts you in that box and that confine of, oh, I can't do that. Oh, how can someone like me do that? Blah, 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 blah. Mm. But actually, no, like you can do it. If, you know, Sally across the road has done it and she looks like me, why can't I do it? Yeah. And even I can do it better. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to Hazel about something similar. Mm. So Hazel, who goes by the name of the yeah, food medic. Awesome, yeah. So she was talking, so clearly Hazel's, just got the right formula and also she's got a very natural passion for what she does yeah so she mixes the world of nutrition very well with the world of medicine um but what i thought was interesting is that she said that she didn't find herself in either of those camps naturally mm-hmm. so when she was with her nutrition buddies on instagram versus the doctors that she'd meet in hospital actually she never felt herself that comfortable with it e- with either group yeah. i was just going to ask you aroma how do you kind of like traverse those worlds because Yes, you're going to meet a lot of beauticians mm-hmm. who don't have the same knowledge base and their knowledge base is just as valid, but different. Mm. And then you're also going to meet a lot of medics who are trained to like kind of go on this conveyor belt of nine to five life. Mm. How did you kind of marry the two or? So do you mean kind of on my day to day life, how I deal with such groups? Or... I suppose, which groups do you feel most comfortable in? Um, or how do you, or what have you learned from either group, can I ask? At the moment, I would say I feel most comfortable with those in the beauty world. Um, and interesting kind of what you were saying, you know, about Hazel. For a very long time, I never felt comfortable within hospital. I felt like I didn't belong there. I just felt out of place. Often nurses would be like, you don't even look like a doctor. What are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
sorry to say, a lot of medics, unless they're on a similar kind of journey to me, they just don't get it. Mm. And initially I was very kind of, um, just, I would say disappointed and, 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 and disencouraged about, mm. you know, they'd be like, oh, wow, you know, you can't, you can't leave training. Like, okay, you're going to set up this business, but what if it doesn't work? And like, oh, you can't do this, but but what about training? But what about GP? And you'd make such a great doctor. You are such a great doctor. And I'm like, mm. they just don't get it. And instead of just staying within that um, kind of group of, of understanding and people, I just kind of removed myself from it. Mm. And really, I kind of only jam with medics that get it and are doing their own stuff, like you, MLA, and like you, Super. Like, and if you're not, bye. Like, I know that sounds awful, but I just don't need to be around that energy. So how do you build a group of people? Sorry, Sue, but you go ahead. Um, I wanted to ask, do you find that it's because traditional training pathways don't allow a lot of scope to do sort of alternative things or have your side hustles? Definitely. And it's, it, do you, I mean, it's not, uh, maybe not necessarily discouraged, but mm. I guess it's not really encouraged. So do you find no. that people tend to have a very like... They do. And, and I don't mean to sound dramatic, but I see it as a form of brainwashing. I feel like a lot of medical students and medics are 100% brainwashed. Again, they're obsessed with being on this conveyor belt. They're obsessed with being secure. Mm. What does security even mean? Like yeah. security to someone of our age versus someone who's like, you know, almost a pensioner is totally different. And the way I see it was, and again, so what does security mean? What does risk mean? A lot of people say, oh, it's so risky. Mm. For me, essentially, there's no risk, especially of, you know, the position that we're in. We're so blessed. We're young, we're educated. Yeah. And, you know, so if for whatever reason your endeavours don't work, you can always just go back into training or mm. you can go into locuming. Like, it's not the end of the world. Like, you'll still have food in your table. Calm down. Do you find that it's, obviously, when people talk about things like concerns about um, stability, security, mm, risk, mm, mm. often, very often, it boils down to finances, right? Do yeah, you feel definitely. like, as a doctor, we have that, um, safety net of the fact that you can locum and that the fact that there is a need for mm. doctors and that you can go and locum and you can mm. make the money you need to make to sustain yourself does that give you security do you feel but, like but i think even suba the security net that we're talking about isn't even locuming for a lot of doctors it's actually their permanent job so you mean it's the it's the mental concept of sold of having a nine-to-five yeah. day-to-day job and you're exactly. progressing along that mm. Rather than a financial security, it's more the fact that we need, we feel the need to be on a pathway, we feel the need to be on a pathway. Yeah, and I think also that's just the personality of medics as well. Mm. Um, and But for me, getting, this is quite controversial, but getting a suboptimal amount per month based on what you're doing, is that really security? Really? And I guess if you're adding that on to the fact that you're not going home and feeling enriched, you're not leaving it, getting home and feeling, you know, exactly. sleeping in your bed with a little smile on your face and delighted to wake up at 7 a.m. Exactly. to then go back in for the next Exactly. Log. And I think part of the problem is, and, and where a lot of medics fall down, is that we don't like talking about money. You know, we don't like sharing how mm. much we earn, you know, or what we're getting on this locum shift or, you know, how much someone more senior is getting. We don't like talking about it. And I think that really traps us and keeps us on that conveyor belt. Oh, it definitely does. And, and I think it's so, that conversation more. it's so important to talk about money. And that's why I try and do that with my mm -hmm. like with my friends. And actually, I was speaking to another medic earlier this week when I was doing a locum shift. And she told me how much she was getting. And actually, I was offered a rate that was lower than that. And then I just went to speak to the agency. And I was like, look, you've offered this person a certain rate. The thing is, people will try and shaft you if they can mm. and try to get the most out of you. Of course. But actually, I think what we don't realize sometimes as doctors is that you do have a certain power. Exactly. And you also, have a, you also have a skill set that you've also developed and built over years. So actually, you are a valuable player. And these are skills that you can transfer to other areas. Mm. So if... Medicine doesn't completely fulfill you and satisfy mm. you. Maybe you should start looking outside mm. of that because mm, mm, mm. I think for Awomo, as she's clearly said, is a lot of medicine in the NHS doesn't fulfill her and doesn't no. satisfy her. Some um, people might call me greedy, but... No, but I think <laughs> I think Awomo, you, you've made it very clear. Look, you need happiness in your exactly. life and yeah. you also need to be fulfilled. I'm fortunate. I feel fortunate that I do enjoy my job mm. and I like a lot of aspects of it. And it does fulfill me. Mm -hmm, uh, but there are other things I want to do outside of medicine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's very two different yeah, spaces to be in. And I think from what you were saying, another key issue and another thing that really irritates me is that medics don't know their value. 
It's like, for goodness sake, mm. you are amazing. Yeah. You are so intelligent. In terms of, you know, the most intelligent people in the population, you are up there. You're part mm. of that top 1% or whatever. Mm. Um, and it's just because, you know, in this country, they've essentially sidelined us as doctors and clinicians and they don't respect us and they don't value us. So we essentially believe that and we're like, oh, actually, maybe maybe I shouldn't ask for that extra £10 when I'm locuming or whatever. But that's where, as I was saying before, networking and building meaningful relationships outside of your bubble comes really handy mm. because then you'd realise, oh, shit. Oops, pardon. That's where you'd realise that, you know, the friend that I have in the creative industry or the friend that I have who's working in the corporate sector, yeah. they're actually getting a really good deal. And it's not yeah. just in terms of money, but also they live a really balanced life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I am really getting shafted yeah. in the NHS. <laughs> yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. Because we're not talking about just being shafted in terms of money. Actually, you need to live your yeah. life and yeah. you need to be able to look after yourself and have time to do that and go to places that you want to go, go on holiday yeah. and all and those things. It. I feel like a lot of men expect for like they deserve <laughs> it. This is getting this, this is, is getting deep. Yeah. No, we're going real deep, girls. Real deep. They don't they don't feel like they deserve it. Maybe that's more of a character thing. I don't know, but no, but I think also maybe it's, a, it's like an institutional thing yeah, sometimes, you know, because it's, sometimes it's the way you're treated in the workforce. It's the way that, you know, you're kind of taught to think mm. about yourself and your skills and your value. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, like you say, it makes so much sense to have those external relationships mm -hmm, where mm -hmm, you see mm -hmm. how other people mm. um, like express their self-worth mm -hmm, and how mm -hmm. they're then treated in their industries. And a lot of it is about demanding that and, you know, learning to demand that for yourself. Like say, ask for that extra 10 pounds, mm -hmm. call up your agency mm -hmm. and say, well, hold on a second. Why are you paying this person X amount? You're paying me another amount. And that's the thing, maybe because I'm, I have a business anyway, but really when I'm locuming, I see myself as a business. Yeah. And if you don't, what are you doing? <laughs> Especially as a locum doctor. Yeah. It depends, you know, whether you're just doing it for a few shifts and want to get an extra bit of cash. But if it's something that you want to do for more than a year, you really need to sell yourself as a business. Yeah. And you're an asset and essentially the highest bidder wins. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. And can I ask you, just because we're coming close yeah, yeah. to the end of time here. So, Ewoma, you've told us a lot about Skin Doctor, mm. but you haven't also told us about all the successes that you've had. So, if guys, <laughs> honestly, go and follow Ewoma. Um, follow her, me. How do people find you, first of all? Um, so, they can find me a few different ways. The main way is via Instagram. Mm -hmm. So, it's at Skin Doctor, especially spelled S-K-N-D-O-C-T-O-R. Um, I've got websites, which is www.skindoctor.london or even .co.uk. Um, so, yeah, so those are kind of the main channels that you can find me. Yeah, and she's also a blogger as well. Yeah, so I've, um, I've got a blog called Skin Talk. Um, so that's Skin Talk, so sknTalk.com. Um, so I've done some really cool interviews on really there. Really cool interviews. Um, so people like Sharmadine Reed, um, uh, a scientist from Bioderma. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, have a look at that as well. Yeah, so I think it's just so amazing to see other junior doctors doing mm. some amazing things because yeah. look we've all come through the same training program but to know that there's bigger scope for what you yeah. can do based on just your interests I think that's what yeah. we want to get out this season mm. and it's been amazing to have people like you on this show so you've clearly worked with some great brands such as Glossier, Beauty Stack and um, by Sharmadine over the past two years mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. it seems like a lot has happened for you in a short period of time it has what has crazy. been one of your most exciting experiences or what's the one that you want to talk to us about mm. today oh that's so difficult i would say the best experience that i've had is essentially um getting skin doctor in the goodie bag for the gq men of the year Awards. oh my gosh how did yeah. we not talk about this <laughs> guys honestly this is how this is just amazing, the story. <laughs> so you go ahead and tell everyone yeah, what so, happened. So it all came about because my uh, sister's friend worked at GQ at the time. Okay. And he was like, oh my God, you've got this amazing brand. Why don't we somehow like, I don't know, get, you know, Skin Doctor product or like a voucher inside of the goodie bag. And guys, if you don't know about GQ Awards, basically every year they will have these goodie bags and people vie and want to yeah. have their stuff in the goodie bags because it's you know that every yeah. single... A-list, um, no C-listers, no B-listers, <laughs> no Z-listers, just A-list celebrities yeah, are going to be holding those bags. So you're world. exposing yourself to people yeah. with money and influence. It was amazing because, funny enough, we say goodie bags, but actually it's a suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> um, literally, it's a suitcase of, of products and, and you've got amazing, you know, the best hotels in London, the best products in there. 
Um, and then through that experience, essentially, um, I essentially, you know, got some really amazing clients. Mm -hmm. um, so what did, you put, in, yeah, what did you put inside? The um, so essentially it was just a, a, a voucher, not just, you know, your standard little voucher, but, you know, standard, um, sorry, a voucher in a, in a box. Um, it almost kind of looked like a net-a-porte type box, yeah. which I made myself and had to make within three days. <laughs> so it was like so a black, like, beautiful box, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, with like a cute little Are you like, ribbon. Were you building them? So the, the plain box came by okay. itself, but but what I literally had to do in three days was design the voucher itself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everything from the, the font, the coloring, all of yeah. that, sourced the boxes. And I was very particular about the boxes yeah, I want because I'm just particular about everything. But a particular type of box particular type of ribbon um and then literally get that for next day and then on the last day i was literally <laughs> making like 70 boxes like oh my god it, it was... sounds like you're preparing for a wedding or something no i was <laughs> it was so stressful but amazing at the same time super stressful and like you what know an opportunity though i know and i and i got a call from like my sister's friend who was at who was at the gq office at the time and he was like um is there any way that you can like get a box down to like vogue house right now and i was like why he was like, uh, cause we want to shoot the stuff in the goodie bag. And so I literally had to quickly make one of the boxes and then call an Uber and get an Uber to deliver that <laughs> tiny box, which was probably like 10 by 20 centimeters over to Bakehouse. <laughs> like, like the size hand, of your hand. hand Do you know what I mean? It was stress, but that's the hustle. Yeah. So. And so that goodie, so, sorry, that voucher went into yeah. all the goodie bags. Mm -hmm. And did you get a lot of clients from it? Did you get any special clients in particular? Yeah, I got a few. Um, so um, a really amazing client that got out of that um, was uh, Idris Elba's fiance? Oh, she's um, beautiful. So Sabrina, mm, so stunning, gorgeous. natural beauty, and such like she's such the sweetest girl. So so nice. Yeah. Um, and then also the daughter of the GQ editor as well. She's a regular now as well. Okay. Um, and then also Jodie Harsh, who's essentially I this. I love Jodie Harsh. Yeah. By the way. So um, he's this like amazing like drag queen DJ that like DJs at you know, all of the fashion weeks, sits front row at some of them. And when he is, like is dead, he with is like Jeremy popping, Scott, yeah. like, yeah, so fabulous. And you also have your regular clientele, I yeah. say regular, but mm. also amazing girls. Yeah, yeah. And do you have guys as well? Um, not really, you know. Okay, okay. Um, I would say maybe like one or two. <laughs> there we go. And, what um, and can I yeah. ask, sorry to just rush yeah, through these, sure. what's the mainstay of your treatments? What do you tend to do a lot? So the people? most popular treatments, yeah. yeah, I would say definitely lips. Okay. Um, and then under eye filler. Okay. So I fill essentially to even out any bags or or darkness that you've got under there. And can I ask? So mm -hmm. looking forward, yeah. What's the forecast? So exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I can see because I feel like you're just about to. Do you know what I mean you're like on that? You're ascending and you're I'm just... I'm just getting started, babe. I know. Like, <laughs> se seriously, I'm just getting started. I'm so excited. So they've uh, got lots of different things uh, up and coming. So the main thing that I'm working on right now, it was secret or a bit of a secret, but I'm just kind of telling everyone now. Um, but what I'm doing now is essentially I'm planning my own standalone clinic where we'll yeah. be working on Skin Doctor pretty much full time. Yeah. And also, you know, expanding to my treatment list. So essentially offering... Uh, results-based face, you know, facials. Yeah. Um, so I've been like going on viewings this week, and hopefully launching end of December or December slash January next year. Amazing. So, but and later, later down the line, like yeah. products. I was going to say twenty years down the everything, line. Everything. See me on wearing. the front row. Yeah. See me like in yeah. Grazia Vogue. There we go. I'm going to kill it. Yeah, there's 20 no... years down the line, we're all going to be putting on Iwomi's, like... Basically. Basically I'll skincare. be putting skin doctor on my face. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> no, thank you so much for coming to talk to us, Iwomi. No, yeah, thank thanks, you. It's, it's, so, it's so great for you to have been with us in the beginning of the journey and to be coming through with us now. And actually, we're so excited for you. Oh, and I think... I'm so proud of you girls. Oh, well done. Thank you. What they've got down here. It's a cute Super little setup. It is a cute little Super impressed. Impressed. So thank you so much for no coming problem. today. Yeah. I wish we had even longer to speak Literally. to Oh, I could have gone on. I we feel like there's so much that you can share. And Maybe like... you just need to bring me back again. Yeah, exactly. round two, <laughs> season three. Yeah. I think we should do like a series with Aroma. That'd like a returning, no, like a returning episode. I'd love to. It's coming, it's coming. Yeah. So thanks. And as always, guys, please share. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, give us a rating, leave us a comment. Um, we always love hearing from you guys. So get in touch. 
And we'll speak to you on the next episode. See you guys. Bye. 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 <laughs> Today's episode was recorded at Mare Street Market. Catch us over on www.afterthelettuscom or forward slash after the letters on every social media network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.